Hey guys, it is good to see you here. I'm proud of you for being here and you're not at the basketball game, but maybe that just means you have a, didn't have a ticket. I'm not really sure, but we're glad you're here anyway. If you don't know me, my name is Alex Gray. I'm one of the co-directors here at Veritas, uh, and we're just glad to be doing another semester with you guys. Uh, we are in a short little series called Different, uh, and we're going to be here for a couple weeks in the book of First Peter. I got a short little video last week that really does kind of highlight how different people are. And I have been thinking about it all week. I'm already giggling. So I want us to watch it. It's very short. I think we're going to enjoy it. So let's watch. Oh, man. I love that video. Gosh, I think I've watched it like 40 times. No joke. I'm not kidding. But I just think it's like so accurate. Everything from like his facial expressions to his dramatic fall, even those hashtags, they ring pretty true, unfortunately. Personally, my favorite part is the response that he does for like the 90s baby, because I, I was born in 1990, so we don't need to do the math on that one, but it really resonates with me, because if you saw, what he did was he hit the wall, he was immediately offended, he decides he's okay, but then he looks at the camera so that we know that he knows that the wall was really in the wrong. And like, if you know me, that is just honestly embarrassingly spot on. I think that whole video, honestly, it's, it's just all kind of spot on. But the end in particular, I think it's really interesting because it's putting its finger on something, a cultural shift in perspective that I think I've been seeing for, I don't know, maybe like the last 15 years of my life or so, which is that hardships, they, they used to be, they have gone from a given, something kind of normal in our life, to a catastrophe, an outrage. Now, hardships, they seem to come as a shock or a, a personal attack. And I'm not saying that to poke fun at you guys because it is not lost on me that the bulk of the people in this room got the brunt of the joke here. And so I don't say it to put you down or to poke fun, but I say it because I think that there's something there. There's something to how we think about hardships. And I think that we are all a part of this shift, like myself included. Even just yesterday, I was talking to my coworkers, and we were just talking about this idea, and I was like, you know, I mean, have you ever seen that in me? Like, do you, do you know of ways that I maybe turn minor hindrances into outrages? And let me tell you what, they had no shortage of examples to give me. It was, it was crazy. It was immediate. It was, oh, you, you deem every noise in the office as annoying, or you cannot handle a mess for very long on your desk or anyone else's desk for that matter. You get hangry faster than literally anyone I know. You don't always respond to critique so great when it comes in group settings. And my favorite, you don't appreciate when I belch. That was a direct quote. And I'm not sure that I have to like defend myself on that one, but it all came as just rapid fire. Like these were examples that it, they were talking over it, each other. It seemed like they were just kind of waiting for this moment. Hmm. Not really sure what that means. But I do think it was telling. I think what it made me realize is that maybe I fall into this cultural narrative a, a, lit, a little bit more than I think. 
I think that maybe I've come to believe that I shouldn't actually have to experience hardships or setbacks or challenges or disappointments. And if I do, I have the right to just be indignant. You know, culture, it kind of says now that hardships, they're not normal, you know? So when they come, we should be shocked. And, and it says hard, hardships, they, they should be avoided, really. You know, we shouldn't have to put up with them. That's what culture says, at least. But I, I'm not really sure that's true. The Bible, it turns out, has a pretty different perspective on our hardships. There was, a, there was a group of Christians in the first century A.D., and they were just experiencing like an entire slew of hardships in their time. If you were here last week, you heard Kyle talk about these Christians. They were known as exiles, and they had been kicked out of Rome, their homeland, and they were scattered into the provinces in the surrounding area in what was known back then as Asia Minor. So here they were. They had to up and move. They had to leave behind possessions and family and their homes and start new in cities that they just they didn't know. They had to find new jobs. They had to find new community. They had to learn new customs and cultures, all of that. But that wasn't even the worst part for them. The worst part, the hardest part, was that their lives, it, it, they looked completely different than anybody around them. The way that they did their day-to-day, -day, the way that they used their money, the way that they talked, the way that they did relationships, the way that they treated their body, it was all completely opposite from the people that were surrounding them. And it was all because they believed in a, a holy God. And that holy God, he called them to be holy too. And so they believed that their lives should reflect their God. But the, the people around them, they did not like that at all. So more and more, they became hostile to these Christians, persecuting them, discriminating them. And in the book of 1 Peter, it mentions all sorts of these kind of persecutions, this discrimination. It says that these believers, they experienced accusations, injustice, evil, threats, slander, being reviled, criticism, insults, just to name a few. And so you can imagine what they're feeling, the misery, the despair that they're feeling. They're thinking, what is going on? What is God putting us through? Like, how long is this going to be going on? How long will we be in this? If this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, is this worth it? But Peter, he was an apostle, so he was a teacher of God's word that was appointed by God in the early church. He knows that these Christians are dealing with this. He knows that these non-Christians around these believers are just like shredding them for their beliefs. And so he writes to them, probably from Rome, to give them some encouragement. But what's interesting about the encouragement that he gives it's not what we would expect. Peter doesn't say, guys, this is so messed up. I can't believe you guys are going through this. We've got to get you out of this situation. If, 
if I were in that position, if I were one of those exiled Christians, that's what I would want to hear. I mean, even today, like in my life, if I feel just a little bit slighted or insulted, belittled, my first response, you know what it is? It's embarrassing, but I go tell a friend. Unfortunately, that's, that's my natural tendency is to just go complain. And what I want from that friend is for them to say, yeah, that sucks. You should not have to put up with that. But that's not the encouragement that Peter gives. That's not what he says to them. What he says is that it's actually not, essentially what he says is it's not an issue with their circumstances. It's not an issue with what they're going through. It's an issue with their perspective. It's not an issue with their circumstances. It's an issue with their perspective. So look at a few passages in 1 Peter with me, and, and I think we'll get this message. So this is 1 Peter 1. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In, in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See, Peter, he gets that these Christians, they're going through all different kinds of trials. And as we think about suffering, as we think about trials tonight, we've got to acknowledge that suffering, it comes from all sorts of different places. So there is suffering that is the sadness, the grief, the pain, the anxiety, despair, loneliness, those feelings, that kind of suffering comes when things happen in our life that we just can't control, right? It's a part of living in a broken world. There's that kind of suffering, but then there's also a kind of suffering that happens that's a directly because of our sin. So we disobey God, and we feel the consequences, and it hurts but Peter, he's going to be honing in on a, a particular kind of suffering that happens when we follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't. That's the kind of suffering that these Christians are predominantly facing right now, and it's where we're, we're going to camp out tonight. Peter, he has a lot to say about this kind of suffering, and I think that he's going to challenge the way that we think about it. See, he knows Peter knows that when people suffer for their faith, when they're mocked and ridiculed, we, as people, we tend to lock in our gaze on the present. We, we tend to hyper-focus on what's happening in the immediate. 
So we think about our pain, our discomfort, our awkwardness, the hurt that we feel, and, and that's about it. That's all we can feel. But Peter, he gets that, and yet he says, I think that's a perspective problem. I think what you need to do, what we need to do is widen our gaze, widen our lens, widen our perspective, and actually see this from a whole picture perspective. We need to look in a couple different places. He says that we need to look in two directions. So first, what he says is we need to look back. We need to look back to the past, to the cross, and put all of our suffering in the perspective of the suffering of Jesus. So what is the suffering of Jesus? Well, Peter, he's going to put it like this in chapter 2. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's his Father in heaven. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you, we, have been healed. Jesus was himself God. He was God himself, meaning he had all power, all authority, but he gave that up to be born into creation. And while he was on this earth, he spent 30-ish years serving other people, never sinning, always obeying God in everything that he did. When he was reviled, he didn't insult back. He endured mocking, in hostility, violence, all sorts of injustice, and he never returned a single threat. And ultimately, he suffered a brutal death when he was physically nailed to a cross for you and for me. Jesus' life, that picture, it's actually a, a perfect model for what it looks like for us to face hardship. Being different, like we talked about last week, being holy, being set apart, following Jesus in a world that doesn't, that is going to bring opposition our way. We should not be surprised by hardship. We should expect it. And on top of that, we are called to endure it without sinning. So we can expect that just like the people that the exiled Christians interacted with, we are going, we should expect that people will come at us with disbelief and hostility and questions. Questions like, I'm sorry, you're really not going to drink until you're 21. Huh. Sorry, you, oh, you've never had sex. Oh, you're not going to use this old test to study. You really believe that you are talking to someone when you pray? Excuse me, you think that I would go to hell if I don't believe in your God? You know that the Bible has all sorts of contradictions, right? Do you actually think that your faith explains the world better than science? You don't actually believe that Christianity is the one true religion, do you? See, if we're following Jesus, 
These are the questions that we're going to get. We're going to get these if we are following Jesus closely. If, if you haven't experienced some of these questions, I want to say this gently, but it might be because you are not following Jesus in the way that he's called us to. These verses, they're telling us that we should expect criticism for living the way he has. We are called to live out a holy life, a, a different life with a different perspective. This perspective, it looks back to the cross, but it also looks forward to a future. The awesome thing about the Bible is that it gives us the entire story. We have it all. We know exactly where we're headed. We know the end. So obeying Jesus, following him, living a holy life, that leads to the salvation of our souls. That is a future with no hardship, no persecution, just the presence of God, love, joy, peace. And so a perspective that zooms out, that looks to the future, well, it actually makes Peter's claim in verse 6 make a lot more sense. He talks about how we will suffer for just a little while. Maybe we don't have that one, but he says we will only suffer for a little while. And with an eternal perspective, we can see that our 70, our 80, our 90 even years of life, that that is like a blip on the radar, right? That's a dot on an endless line of life with Jesus. And so it's actually possible for us as believers to be laughed at, to be questioned and mocked and maybe lied about and excluded and still for us to be totally unfazed because we have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose. We have an eternal life with God waiting for us. So this life, it just can't compare. It can't compare. We've got to zoom out. We have to take a wider lens and shift our perspective. So we are going to look to the past of Jesus' suffering and look to the future of our salvation. And when we do, that is going to define how we live in the present. It'll determine what our day-to-day -day life looks like. Peter says when we do this, a few key things happen. So let's look back at chapter 1. So he's talking about all kinds of suffering, and he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. So the proven genuineness of your faith, it's kind of funky wording, right? But it reveals something pretty fundamental about how the Bible views hardships, suffering for our faith. What, is it, what it's saying is that this is how our faith is proved to be genuine. It reveals what we have built our life on. Levi Lesko, he is a pastor and an author up in Utah, uh, and we got to hear from him a couple weeks ago at Passion, and I promise that we will stop talking about Passion soon. But we're just still kind of hopped up, seriously. We still love it. So anyway, he's been, he, he said something that I've been thinking about for the last couple weeks, which is hard times don't change you, they reveal you. Hard times change, don't change you, they reveal you. And what he means is hard times, 
hardships, they're just going to show what's already there. They're going to expose what kind of foundation we've built our life on, if our faith is firmly rooted or not. There are a few ways to tell if gold is real or fake. Maybe you know this. But one of them, one of the ways is to test it by fire. And so when you put what looks like gold over a fire, one of two things happens. One, it might stay the same color, melt into a liquid, and then separate from other metals that it's in, mixed in with. That's real gold. Or it will turn a dark color, and it'll start popping and splitting. Basically, shards start exploding off of it. That's the fake stuff, obviously, right? It can't handle the pressure of being under fire. I think insults and accusations, criticism, those things in our life, they work a lot like that fire. Over the years, maybe, maybe even in your time in college, hardships, suffering for our faith, it's going to expose what our life is built on, if it is built on Jesus or if it's built on something else. I became a Christian uh, my freshman year of college over in Memorial uh, in Mark Twain Avenue where we used to have Veritas. Uh, And over about six months, my life changed really drastically. So drastically, in fact, that my parents noticed and they started getting really skeptical of what I was being taught and who I was hanging out with and why I was spending so much of my time at a church. I would come home for breaks and they would say, how's the cult? (laughs) Uh, We can laugh about that now, but honestly, it was like pretty hard. It was not enjoyable because I felt like suddenly my family thought I was just really weird and I felt like they thought I was being brainwashed and it really honestly just put a ton of doubt in my mind. And so I, I really praise God for good mentors and great friends who during that time, they just gave me a ton of confidence in what I believe so that over time, more and more, I was able to share my faith with my family. I think standing firm under this kind of pressure, you know, suspicion, mocking, it's not easy, but it reveals a faith that is built on Jesus. And that is going to bring praise and honor and glory to Jesus. When we do that, it points to the God that we serve. It shows God in and through us. At least that's a goal. But usually, or often, I think when we're under this kind of pressure, there's a couple, there's two different responses that we take, and it's either fight or flight, right? So maybe when people mock us or question us, we get really heated, we get defensive, we get combative, or we just go silent. We shut down, we avoid the conversation completely. But I think there's another option. What, what Peter is saying is that there's another way to do this. I can tell you, personally, I have tried both the tactics, fight or flight, and honestly, neither work very well. They are not effective. I, both leave me feeling upset uh, or ashamed, and I feel like I don't have a solution. But that's where Peter comes in. He gives us 
once again, encouragement in this. And so he says in 1 Peter 3, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ shall be ashamed of their slander. You see how Paul, Peter is calling out our fight or flight response? He's saying, hey, don't get angry. Don't be mean. Don't make other people feel stupid. But also, don't be frightened. Don't withdraw. Don't pull away. Instead, give them the hope that you have in Jesus. That's all you have to do. You have to make a case gently and humbly for why you believe what you do. That's what he's asking. How would that change our interactions with non-Christians? How could it, right? Just, just imagine. Let's take speaker's circle, for example. This is a place, if you go to Mizzou, you know that this is a place where people love to get riled. There are just insults that are being hurled back and forth. People just shout to shout at each other. And they slice and dice each other with these like witty comments and snide remarks. It's just, it's kind of crazy. But imagine, imagine what would happen if a Christian stood in the center and calmly, gently, with compassion, with, with kindness, with empathy. They just made a case for what they believe. How, how could the conversation go differently? I realize that this is a lot easier said than done. Trust me. Naturally, what we want to do is we want to lash out or we want to hide. But what if we took a different tactic? Like, Next time you are sitting in class and someone calls Christianity ignorant or a sorority sister asks why you're the religious one or a coworker says that they would never go to a church like the crossing. Do you have an answer, a, a humble, gentle answer to give them? I, I can't guarantee you that this will go well every time, that this will change everything. Honestly, I should warn you, you might still have train wreck interactions. I think it's a bit unavoidable. But I also think that you could have some really cool conversations, some really awesome interactions. Because Peter, what he says there is that when we do this well, when we endure hardships with gentleness, then it can actually give people a healthy shame that opens their eyes to their sin and to who God is. So sometimes, facing criticism with kindness, it's what God uses to create a spark of faith in someone else. Don't we want to be a part of that? That sounds great. That's cool. Peter, he's telling us that if we are seeing hardships from this kind of perspective, this kind of perspective, a wide perspective, it's going to reveal our faith, 
It's going to bring praise and glory and honor to Jesus, but there's something else that it'll do. Peter, he is convinced that enduring hardships with humility, with kindness, without sin, it's going to bring joy. Look at 1.6. In all this, you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. 1.8. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 4.13. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Okay, we hear you, Peter, loud and clear. The message is joy. And we may think that this is just his thing, but honestly, he's not the only biblical author that talks this way. In the second sentence of the Apostle James's letter, he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Jesus himself, he says in Matthew, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So persecution, insults, hardship, they bring joy. But that sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? Like, we know what hardships feel like. It is awkwardness, discomfort, pain, hurt. And joy, it's happiness, it's delight, it's peace. So how do these things fit together? How can one bring the other? In Japanese culture, there is an art form called kintsugi. And this is where they take broken pottery and they place the pieces back together and they line the cracks with gold. And so what you see is that there has been a, a bowl, maybe, that has obviously been hit or dropped, and so it's cracked, it's damaged. But instead of just throwing it out, what the artist does is he puts the pieces, he lays them back together, he or she puts them back in place, and then he reinforces, he strengthens the lines with gold lacquer. And it creates something beautiful to look at. Like, how great is that? I think, I think that our insults, the persecution, the suffering, the hardship that we face for our faith, I think that God is using it to create a work of art in us. I think that he is using it just like this art. Because when we endure, we will endure these things, right? We will face persecution if we're really following Jesus closely. And that's not going to go away. Those, those cracks, they will remain. But when we're faithfully enduring, when we're living this out without sin, then God is going to fill those cracks with what he says is an inexpressible and glorious joy. And it brings so much more beauty to our life. Having a perspective that expects hardship, that's not outraged by it or surprised, we would think that that eventually would just make us more miserable, right? More pessimistic. Oh, yeah, we got to expect this. But actually, the opposite effect takes hold. When we expect hardships, we, we can say, yeah, that's normal. 
yep, I don't need to fixate on that. I can actually look around and see joy and blessing instead. So when we read this, Peter, he isn't telling us to just pretend, to happily slap on a smile and go about our way. He's saying, widen your perspective. Look back at what God has done and look forward at what he promises to do in you. The music team, why don't you come back up? Just to finish tonight, what I want to do is I want to give you some thoughts to walk away with this week. Because I think it's pretty easy for us to hear these truths in here, to be, to be encouraged, to be challenged, and then just leave it in your seat. And, and we leave and we go about our week. And that's really normal, but I want to create some space for us to reflect, to prepare for what we're going to deal with day in and day out. So if you would, just bow your head with me, and I'm, I'm going to guide us through a couple thoughts to be praying through this week. First, uh, let's remember that we have a God who loves us and actually cares about us in our hardships. So take a second to thank God for who he is and just name some of the ways and the places that you have felt pressured, critiqued, attacked for your faith. that often we are going to fixate on the present instead of looking to the past and to the future of what God has done and will do. So let's pray for God's perspective on our hardships. Pray for a, a perspective that really sees the whole picture. pray that God would strengthen us as we try to follow Jesus, as we live holy, obedient lives. Take a minute to think about people who question your faith. Pray that God would give you courage to respond to them gently and humbly and pray that it would open their eyes. Finally, let's pray that God would be filling us with real lasting joy. Joy that comes in the future, but also now as we really do look at what he's done for us and what he will do. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the love that you have shown us in your work on the cross, for the salvation that we have in you. We thank you for the fact that you are with us in our hardship. You are with us when we feel put down and belittled and questioned for what we believe, for the hope that we have in you. We pray that you would 
strengthen us, that you would establish our faith, that you would make it a motivation of our heart to talk to people about that, to be honest, to move into those conversations with gentleness and clarity and compassion. We ask that you would do this and that it would be a blessing to our lives and to the lives of others. We pray that it would be uh, pointing to you in all that we do and that people would look to you and know you through it. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.